We began to get concerned with Superman's erratic behavior the more we followed him. As he sped off to catch falling planes or trapped civilians, he would dash away just as quickly from a chorus of screams of terror. When we questioned those that he saved, they all said the same thing. That wasn't the Man of Steel. That was a monster. Tracking down this imposter, we saw his pale skin and frayed hair more clearly now. But he greeted us kindly and introduced himself as Bizarro. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. We have more Superman for those of you who really wanted more. <laughs> and if you didn't... Like, don't... we kind of didn't. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's got its ups and downs. Yes. Um, but if you didn't want more Superman, we're doing Wonder Woman next, so... Maybe that's your maybe that's your bag. I mean, kind of I can't. Gay? Yeah, like part of me hopes it'll be good. It's been a while since we were there. Maybe it'll get better on. It won't get better on revisiting. Well, I don't think so. Aww. I don't think Silver Age Wonder Woman is very kind to Wonder Woman. Um, but we we do have some action comics and Superman comics to get through, and then we have some interesting conversations to talk about when it comes to where, in fact, the Silver Age kind of starts. So we're going to kind of just jump right into it with Action Comics, number 253, June 1959. A criminal from Candor switches bodies with Jimmy Olsen while he's in this Fortress of Solitude doing an article on Superman. And then the criminal gets Superman's powers while in the body of Jimmy Olsen and proceeds to try and cause havoc for Jimmy and Superman until Superman brings him back to the Fortress and they switch bodies again and he's captured. Um, that's not how biology works. So I think it, I think the line they used was swapped body and mind. That's I fine. I think that's the case. That's, uh, that's fine. Cause he does look exactly like Jimmy, mm-hmm. but Kryptonians are the ones that have the superpowers. And if you didn't, if you swapped a molecular structure with Jimmy, then yes, of course he would have his powers. But if you just swapped, swapped bodies, like uh, his mind goes into Jimmy's body. That, that's what I mean. I think it was a, complete transposition and resizing okay but in no way is that clear and it really smacks of fiat science yeah it was very much like you shouldn't be able to have powers because you're still in a human's body why are you doing things i don't know it it was very strange and didn't wasn't uh the criminal also not affected by kryptonite i think kind of a little bit uh no 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 no, that's right that was fake kryptonite yeah, it was it was definitely uh, fake kryptonite. And and to clarify, like this is another one of those uh, we talked about these in the past, uh, hiding a secret from the reader uh, stories. It's only revealed really at like the end of act midway through Act Three that oh, it wasn't Jimmy. It was this uh, criminal all along who had taken his form. Uh, so yay, my least favorite kind of story from this era. Indeed. Yes, that was that was definitely one of the weirder stories that we cover, and I'm not sure kind of why it's the way it is, but we that's a weird one to kind of start off on is Jimmy Olsen being suddenly super powerful. I mean, the cover for that one's hilarious. It's Jimmy and Superman squaring off with each other, flying right, at each yeah. other, which paints a very different picture for what's what's going to happen, but you get what you get. Um, yeah. And for, for the record, the way I, I mentioned before, the way I've been reading these is all of one comic and then all of another. So I started with the Superman comics and then I read the action and 
you remember my point last time of the action comics just somehow always being less engaging. And as soon as I started this one, it's just like, oh, God damn it. It's yeah. going to be a stupid twist. Yeah, your, your mileage may vary when it comes to action comics versus Superman comics and, and whether or not one has more merit or creativity than the other. Your mileage may be light years or picometers. Exactly. Uh, Superman, number 130, July 1959. Superman is plagued by a kryptonite meteor that just happens to be where he's digging a ditch for beneficial and nice purposes. And then we get like literally the entire history of kryptonite as through Superman's memories and life and adventures where he attempts to make a a cure for it. He attempts to dissolve it and destroy it. Um, And we see him like as a young kid trying to figure this out and how much it's plagued him since like Krypton's explosion. And just when he's about to die from kryptonite, it is blown away from him by a mysterious gust. And he sees crypto, the super dog. Now this is the first appearance of crypto, the super dog in Superman because mm. he's in Superboy. Oh, okay. I actually didn't realize this was I, the first well, there's done. a lot of, there's a lot of firsts in Superman's but not in Superboys in this episode. So this is Crypto's first appearance in Superman because apparently Crypto was off doing stuff in space during at, like at the end of the Superboy comic like he says that like I thought you went in space to go do a thing and you've come back and I'm like you were gone for like years man. You just like let your dog run away? For decades? Alright, whatever. It's your super run dog. Run away to space. Yeah, he ran away to space. Like, it's not even like he, to another country or just like somewhere on the world. He I, ran off gonna, into the you space. You know, actually, I feel like it's not any better to say my dog ran away to Canada than it is to say my dog ran away to space. But presumably, since you have a super dog, the dog could just be at your side any second if it's mm-hmm. on the planet. Depending on how far out in space he's wandered, that's an entirely different story, I feel. Okay, I feel like there's only one good way to be sure about this, and that is I need a super dog. Yeah, we uh, re- readers and listeners, if you have super dogs, let us know. We want to <laughs> strategically let them out, all right? Uh, Who let the super dogs out? Luthor, probably. Accurate. Yeah, after he steals those 40 cakes. <laughs> yeah, that's canon. That's yeah, canon. No, I just like the idea of Luther the prankster. Uh, in the same issue of Superman, he is also conned into helping a criminal, but he monkey paws his way out of it by like giving the guy literal translations of dough, ice, and whatever other slang he uses for money. I like this one. That was that was bizarre, but also very Silver Age. Um, the final story in that is Superman sees a town that has outlawed Superman in it because the mayor doesn't like Superman because apparently the mayor and Superman were in the same orphanage when they were babies. And he blames Superman for being the reason he didn't get adopted when Superman as a baby was actually trying to save him instead of, like, shuff him off so he doesn't get adopted. It's very... It's very because reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just disappointing. Uh, Action Comics, number 254, July 1959. Luthor and Vecco. Uh, arbitrary minion named arbitrary named vin, minion Vecco. That's the guy's name. I had to make sure that I read that right. V E K K O. I've never heard of this guy ever in my entire life. He's not even the guy in the Superman movies with Christopher Reeve, or or yeah, Christopher Reeve. Which um, one was this? This was um, the first appearance with the duplicator machine. 
Oh. So some dude that he's got as a sidekick named Vecco. Um, Vecco asks huh. Luthor, like, hey, what you doing there, boss? And he's like, I have... I have found and repurposed the duplicator machine that was used on Superboy to make an imperfect duplicate of him when he was a child. I found it. I've repurposed it. I'm going to use it on Superman and make an imperfect duplicate of Superman now. He does so, which creates Bizarro. This is the first... Superman appearance of Bizarro because as I just said there was a Superboy appearance of Bizarro and that is technically the first appearance of Bizarro. So we're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of like sentience politics in this because I have oh some things boy. to say. Oh boy. Oh boy. No, I'm um, there with you. So Bizarro, the second he is created just goes like, "Well, this is BS. I don't want to be a bad guy. Screw you, Luthor." And I'm like, "That's weird, but sure." Um so he just grabs Luthor and Vecco and finds Superman. He's like, these guys are bad. We're done with them. I don't want to be a criminal. And Superman's like, golly gee, this is easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, sure. Let's go get that machine and give it to the cops. And him and him and Bizarro go do that. And he goes, hey, can you handle this and give them, give the cops to them? There's a tidal wave. I got to go stop. And, and Bizarro's like, sure. No problem for Bizarro. He gives the cops Luthor and Vecco and the cops are like whoa Superman you look really weird and he's like well that's because I'm bizarro and they're like we don't know what that means you're a scary lifeless monster creature person thing we don't like you so bizarro spends the next couple of pages trying to get people to like him by doing Superman things saving planes saving people things that are altruistically good out of the goodness of his heart because he just wants to be loved because he feels that he is in his words, a lifeless monster and just wants to be loved. While he's doing this, uh, Lois and Jimmy are tailing him and they take some really good pictures of him and Lois is like, these pictures are fantastic and they're great. And Bizarro hears this and he thinks that Lois is talking about how he's fantastic and great. So he thinks that Lois is in love with him. He goes to get Lois from the Daily Planet and she, not looking, I guess, thinks that he's Superman and just, like, falls into his arms. And when she realizes that it's Bizarro, she's like, oh, um, you're not Superman. But he takes her to an island where he has built her a cottage that he's like, this is where we're going to live because we're in love and stuff. And she's like, oh, um, like, I'm really sorry, but, like, no. I'm sorry if I gave you that impression. He's like, oh, it's because I'm, like, ugly, right? I can fix this. Hold on. So Bizarro goes back to the police station, gets the imperfect, imperfect duplicate machine, uses it on himself, which then creates a handsome version of Bizarro. Same mind, just pretty. Just looks like normal Superman. And then tells him, hey, um, you're for Lois Lane. Um, yeah, there you go. Enjoy. And new pretty Bizarro goes to Lois and starts making out with Lois. And she's like, oh, clearly this is the real Superman. And Superman's like, the fuck is this shit? Like, he shows up and he's like, what am I looking at right now? And Bizarro's like, don't worry about it. Here's some kryptonite. And Superman's like, what is happening at this moment in time right now? What is going on? And the issue ends on this panel. Bizarro, the traditional Bizarro that kind of looks like he's made from like gemstone or, or like like metal watching Lois Lane make out with his imperfect duplicate that looks really handsome and he's going my plan is working and that's how the issue ends and the the editor box at the bottom is like what is Bizarro's plan find out in the next issue of Action Comics and I'd like to point out that the first instance 
of issue-to-issue continuity story necessity is Bizarro making a boyfriend for Lois Lane. And I gotta tell you, that is a hell of a cliffhanger. (laughs) And the second I read that, I was like, I need to know. I need to know what happens because this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, But yeah, that's that's the first instance of at least that we have seen with action comics of point to point story continuation and boy, howdy, what a cliffhanger. (laughs) See, here's the thing. I'm going to spoil things a little bit. I don't know if you were planning to cover that issue like right after this. Not right after, but I was going to do it chronologically, but it is the one right after the next Superman that we cover. So if you want to wait until we do that, uh, it depends. You know what? I'm going to spoil one thing because it's on the fucking cover. Uh, The third act twist is that there's going to be a Bizarro Lois. That's on the cover, and it's on the splash page for the story. Right. You don't you don't fucking get to do that. I'm sorry. You do not get to have, oh, here's the twist of how we're going to resolve it, and put it on your damn cover. Yeah, you don't spoil your own story like that. Mm-hmm. That's just rude no. for everyone. Or, or if you do, it's a spoil that only makes sense within the context of what you learn building up to it. It would have been better had it been a Lois not facing the camera yes. with both of them approaching her. Mm-hmm. And that would have been interesting because then they could have recreated that scene in the comic and then it could have been Bizarro Lois. But that's beside the point. That's yep. neither here nor there. Um, because the next... Once again, uh, story structures, not exactly the strong point of these writers. Yeah, it definitely Unlike isn't. with Justice League. It definitely isn't. Um, Superman number 131, August 1959. The first Superman... Oh, no, it is not the first Superman appearance of Mr. Mitzelplik. And we will get into this. Um, but it is a Mr. Mitzelplik story. Now, I say Mitzelplik, you say... I've kind of always done Mr. Mitzelplik. Honestly, like, honestly, because there's, you put it more you put I an think an, about it. Yeah, because you put an L in there where there isn't. Mm. You say Mitzelplik, and I think I do too, but I say Mitzel... Yeah, Mitzelplik. Because I've heard mm, it a variety of different friggin ways and i'm sure there's an episode of some show somewhere that's like it's this dummy i would um, love like a super cut of every time someone pronounces the name wrong oh yeah i would i'd be in there a dozen times um wait is there like an official like canonical recording of someone saying it yeah uh yeah there's got to be the D- superman animated tv show okay i wondered if he was on there yeah the superman animated tv show that's my that was my first uh introduction to mr mr m as we're going to call him (laughs) until we we hear this correctly don't don't give him that respect um it'll be quickly it'll be uh quickly destroyed hi five videos later (laughs) um and and several weird incarnations of him uh we have decided i have decided that i'm going to pronounce it mixia spitlick mr mixplick yeah uh, that was Gilbert Godfrey explaining how to spell it to me <laughs> from the Superman animated television show in the 90s. Uh, but Migzia Spitlick. Okay. Uh, spelled the usual way, of course. Uh, <laughs> that was the best line in all those videos was when he goes, Mr. Migzia Spitlick. He goes, yeah, spell the usual way. And I'm like, that is the best line. That's the most Chevy Chase line I've ever heard. Um, so <laughs> Mr. Migzia Spitlick has shown up again 
to taunt Superman, and this issue is just to explain the variety of ways in which Mr. Mixia Spitlick has tormented Superman in the past. You kind of get an idea that he is this fifth-dimensional being. He kind of looks like a Jetsons character wearing a bowler hat. Accurate. Um, just a tiny old man in a Jetsons uh, outfit with those like radial fins coming off mm -hmm. of his shoulders and around his waist um, with white hair and a little bowler hat on top. And he just is a fifth dimensional being that likes to torment Superman. And by fifth dimensional, I mean, basically he has the power to do whatever he wants. So to get rid of him, he has to, uh, Superman has to get him to say or spell his name backwards which I will not attempt to pronounce. No. Uh, but apparently the sound of his name backwards is a certain vibration that just sends him back to the fifth dimension for another 90 days and he's gone out of your hair. So that's cool. And that's what that story is, is he just uh, gets him to say his name backwards by actually finding a recording of Mr. Mixia Spitlick from a newsreel previously, playing it in a theater where he is, and then reversing the audio and he goes like, I didn't say it. And he goes, well, it was your voice. And then that sends him back. Um, the second story in Superman 131 is Lois goes to old New England town, which for those of you who went to public schools that uh, had an area close by that they called old Jamestown or, or colonial Williamsburg, mm -hmm. things like that. Yep. Um, it's just like a, a town that reenacts like what life was like here. Uh, minus the weird shady history bits just to show you like what technology was and like what lives were like and like that's kind of neat and historically interesting um she goes there to do a story on this location and sits in a chair that is believed to belong to us like a, a, a seer or a soothsayer or a witch and when she sits in it she starts to get visions of a life in the future that superman is having with some strange mysterious woman that she never sees the face of and superman raises kids with this woman and is very much in love with this woman and lois is absolutely 100 percent convinced that it's her until she sees the face of the woman in a like a mask because they're going to a costume party and she doesn't know if it's her and she gets mad and when superman shows up he's like hey how's it going she's like you're a fiend and a bigamist and slaps him and he's like what the hell just happened and i'm like yeah like you don't know that <laughs> It's like, that's a weird conclusion to jump to and also a reason to slap him, but whatever. Um, you're not even together. Why would you hurt him for doing a thing that hasn't even happened yet? Look, it's drawn by Kurt Schaffenberger. Yeah. So it my is. sympathies are with Lois on this it's, one. It's, it's one of those things where like you have a bad dream and you like get mad at your, your significant other because they did something stupid in the dream and you're mad at them or you're upset because they yell at you in the dream and you're just like, uh, it seems very <laughs> weird. And the other person's like, what happened? What, what? conceivably could have occurred when we were both asleep um the third story is superboy bored in smallville unbeknownst to him uh, looking for action to save people saves young jimmy olsen as a baby young lois lane at a party from having her head trapped in a metal mask which is a dumb party to be at lois don't go to those and saves perry white from losing all of his papers when he's at sea coming to metropolis a very interesting non-useful filler story uh, by very interesting, I mean not interesting at all. Um, it's it's very it's very much like Bruce Wayne showing up in Smallville, finding out Clark was Superboy. I I liked it more, but it largely because it tied itself up so neatly. It is definitely less force, but it is the same type of story, and I'm kind of just not about that because okay, it's kind of boring. Fair. That's fair. Um, it is definitely in the untold stories category. Yeah, it's very, it's very, what if? And I'm like, you didn't need that. Um, 
Action Comics number 255, August 1959. Uh, this is the continuation of the Bizarro storyline, so buckle up in case you were really waiting for us to get back to that, because I'm sure some of you were like, we need to know what happens. And I'm like, good, because that was how I felt. Um, Bizarro and Superman duke it out um, to see who gets to love Lois. And Superman's like, I'm going to get rid of new Bizarro first by like blowing kryptonite dust at him, which promptly melts new Bizarro. He like, and I'm counting that. That's a body count. He killed a sentient life form. I don't care how many times Lois, Bizarro, or Superman referred to Bizarro and his kind as lifeless constructs or duplicates. That was a thinking, breathing, for at least that we know, but a thinking sentient creature and you destroyed it with kryptonite. If it has pathos, it's murder. Yeah, if it has, if it has a fight or flight response and it can speak to you, and can reason with you mm-hmm. it's a sentient life form last. you know and it's like mm, you killed it so that's body count one for the silver age for superman well done you're on the board with wally or with barry and uh, diana um and of course this fighting continues and lois has the bright idea of well they wouldn't fight if there was someone for bizarro wouldn't they and using the imperfect duplicate machine makes a duplicate of herself that is completely in love with Bizarro and not Superman, and they fly off into the sunset like none of this ever happened. <laughs> Convenient, isn't it? There's like like no consequences for the fact that like, um, I now have a clone. And there was a nuke dropped on him. Yeah, there was a nuke dropped on Bizarro during this fight sequence, and he's just like, nah, I'm cool, which presumably just means that him and Superman are nuke-proof. Yeah. Action Comics number 256, September 1959. Superman pretends to be uh, a Superman from the future in order to draw out assassins who are trying to kill the president by predicting things that he knows will go incorrectly and not stopping them and then saying, like, the future is destined to occur, which means the president's assassination today is definitely likely and draws out the criminals and catches them. Also, the... uh the brain ridge and brain pattern because he's from the future. He's, yeah, he's uh, more evolved. So he's got like a big brain head situation and long fingers. It, he's he looks like the Mars attacks aliens. I guess kind of without like without the, the skeleton brain. face. It's like yeah. if you actually had like skin over the brain. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Superman number one thirty two, October nineteen fifty nine. Batman and Robin bring Superman a very strange gift for his, like, birthday. Oh, yeah. And it is a old, like, punch card computer reading formula thing. Univac. Yeah, it's a Univac that is supposed to solve an equation somehow and put this on a television screen for Superman in the Fortress of Solitude of what his life would be like on Krypton. It is what has to be the precursor for Alan Moore's For the Man Who Has Everything storyline. Oh, yeah. Like, all I saw for that was like, oh my god, this is just very early Silver Age for the man who has everything. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar, the for, for the man who has everything storyline is a storyline where Superman dreams that he never left Krypton and grew up on Krypton and slowly becomes aware that he is under mind influence by Mongol, the Conqueror. And uh, he realizes that his life that he has been living all these years is a lie and he's just dreaming. And it's a really crazy, intense, like super sad storyline because he has to like admit to his son that he doesn't think that he's real and it's really intense and this is just 
kind of sad and weird because it's just like, look at all these cool, crazy things you could have done. You could have been a space ranger. There's a guy named Futuro who you would have been like the Jimmy Olsen to. Lois Lane shows up. Your parents and your brother get killed in a thing. But like then Futuro makes them a Mount Rushmore on a moon somewhere. It's like pretty dope. And it's like the weirdest, like, I don't need to see this. This is sad. This is almost as sad as watching people pretend to be his parents and shoot a fake baby off that island on New Krypton. <laughs> That's right. So that's just that Superman issue. Action Comics number 257, October 1959. Luthor tests a machine designed to give superpowers to himself on Clark from prison, by the way. He's doing this all from prison. Clark realizes what's going on and just says, I'm just going to pretend to be super greedy to make Luthor think that I can get all the money that I want. And then I'm going to donate it all to charity to make him think that there's a side effect of being given superpowers is being super generous. And Luthor's like, ah, I don't want to give money to charity and like busts the machine up as a failure. It's the weirdest like defeat him with kindness storyline and it works. I like the twist. And sure. I, I do want to point out, though, that there is absolutely no attention given to the fact that he just solved commuting. Oh, yeah. Because he's got that, like, basically like a solid light projector. Like, oh, I am, basically, I'm apparating a copy of myself at this other place, yeah. and it can take actions. It's almost like astral projection. Yeah. It, yeah. With, it's with physical, exactly yeah. that, except hard light kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it's science, astral projection. God, um, I would murder for that. Right. But I love that, like, the reaction that everyone has during the storyline to Clark asking for money or Clark doing things for money is like, Superman wouldn't do it for money. And he's like, yeah, but I'm not Superman. Like, I like the idea that any regular Joe given Superman powers would be like, yeah, I'll build your bridge for you, but you have to pay me because it's a job versus Superman is a superhero because he does it altruistically. He also lives in a fortress made of ice in the North Pole. So Clark has rent. Okay. You know, like <laughs> it's called a mortgage. Right. So I was just laughing that everyone was like, Clark, you're greedy now. And it's like, Clark's just realistic. He's doing all these things for people can you blame him the one time he cheats at that boxing thing was kind of shitty but like mm -hmm. everything else he did was like yeah okay that's what a normal human would do if they had superpowers superman number 133 november 1959 clark does a story on the police officers of metropolis much like he did on the firemen and he uses his powers to be super lucky to get out of like dangerous situations and the clock the cops are like wow you are going to get killed one of these days. You should probably stop doing this. And he's like, I got my story. It's cool. We also have the the retcon of Perry hiring Clark. Now, in the Golden Age, Perry hires Clark because he writes a story about Superman and solves this weird case of a woman being wrongfully accused for murder by using Superman abilities. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. the first story in Superman is him finding a real killer and getting another woman prevented from being killed on the elect uh, from lethal injection or the electric chair. And then he writes about it and then Perry White or whomever the editor for the newspaper at the, at the time hires him. This, however, is Perry White effectively hazing Clark Kent to try and prove that he's not a real journalist and Clark supermanning his way through all the stories to get good stories out of bad premises and then faking getting a superman exclusive to get perry to hire him and lois is like stop doing this he's doing everything you want him to do just hire him already and like i kind of liked really cool lois who is advocating for clark for once like in the past and like the episode or 
there I said it in the <laughs> in the issue where Superman pretends that Clark is dead because Clark was at the center of that explosion his clothes blew off he's Superman instead of Clark um, Lois is distraught that Clark is gone like we definitely very much see that Lois cares for Clark in the Silver Age but her heart belongs to Superman mm-hmm. which I much prefer than the Golden Age where she was like yep I'm gonna get you into trouble Clark and then when you can't get us out of it I'm gonna blame you for being weak and a coward versus this Lois is like she seems like she's rooting for Clark and is his good friend and cares about him very much, but she wants to marry Superman. Mm-hmm. Like Clark does not register as an object of romantic or sexual uh, being to her because Superman's there. The final story that we're covering uh, today is also in that Superman uh, issue. A guy who has a hard on to try and get Superman to be in the army forcibly drafts Superman and Clark just supermans his way through basic training and at random intervals because another guy is supremely entertained by this uh, another army person or ranking officer essentially just promotes Superman at random moments that he becomes a general so hooray general Superman um and then he says you're relieved of duty because you've served us enough like this guy realizes that Superman doesn't need to be in the army and he's just doing this to get Superman to be of a higher rank than the guy who's putting him through basic and it's hilarious because he can't do that only the president can appoint a general whoever that guy is he cannot appoint a guy who is of a higher rank than himself because he's i don't think he's a general he can't make someone a higher rank than himself i don't think he has the authority to do that or to even make someone the same rank as himself don't know the process i mean certainly i'm I'm pretty uh, yeah five-star general uh what is that uh general of the armies i think is yeah that it's, rank. it's a congressional to thing special. too yeah, yeah I, but I like i think the president has to approve a general i'd believe that regardless believe it doesn't it. work like that <laughs> regardless you're doing it wrong right it doesn't it doesn't work like that um so that's the end of the stories that we're covering now we talked about the problem with bizarro and him being a sentient being and being referred to as lifeless i don't like that at all agreed um at the time, of course, I get the impression is that they're just like, he's a bad guy and he's lifeless and he's a monster and he's made out of whatever. And of course, uh, again, I will say that he looks like he's made out of like shards of metal or crystal as opposed to the Bizarro that we now kind of see who is just a gray version of Superman. Um, I also don't like how sometimes they code Bizarro as mentally handicapped. Yep. Um, Bizarro does speak in a... Uh, me and Bizarro, Bizarro like to help, sort of speaking cadence. I like it when he speaks in negatives as yeah, as we positives. Don't get that yet, yeah, but I like, love that. Bizarro, no like you, you not Bizarro's friend. Really translate to Bizarro likes you, you are Bizarro's friend. I kind mm-hmm. of like that because I like the idea of like it's opposite, and you're like that's funny. Um, but I don't like it when they draw him like monstrous, like the Hunchback of Notre Dame for no reason, and you're like. It doesn't need to happen. Like just because he's a an alt like a, a imperfect duplicate doesn't mean he needs to be ugly or that you need to make him grotesquely ugly or less aesthetically <laughs> attractive or coding uh, ugliness uh, with stupidity or uh, yeah or or, or even to put it slightly differently uh, coding deviation from expected physical beauty norms right uh, as oh you're a monster you're evil. Uh, or at best you're misunderstood. So my assumption is that this is 
taking more direct inspiration from uh, Frankenstein than it is from like, sure. Through the Looking Glass. Sure. Uh, but honestly, I need to reread Frankenstein because there's a lot of very potent imagery and uh, style in that original version, and I haven't read it in a while. But there's no question, like the the message falls apart when it's like, but you're trying to imply that an equivalency of uh physical uh physical unattractiveness uh, deviation from the from stereotypes of beauty as societal standards yeah societal standards of beauty as something that is negative negative and associated with specifically associated with stupidity like right uh it's there is that vague sense that this is trying to do the ugly duckling kind of mm-hmm. thing and it's not quite the right word right. but it's basically that but it still does the correlation of deviation from beauty standards to talk like you're stupid right and there is no attempt to make the talk like you're stupid something that is part of a moral and i just wanted to make sure that we talked about that because that is important and integral for the character from uh, we'll see different and varied iterations of bizarro in the future mm-hmm. and him speaking incorrectly is a big part of it and sometimes it's a statement about his intelligence and other times it's just he's not perfect you know and it's like okay it just depends on your flavor of him and also again it's a your mileage may vary situation for him another thing i wanted to bring up because this is something i was talking with matt about before we started recording that i wanted to go into is when exactly the silver age for superman starts Mm mm-hmm so when people ask like, hey, there's the Golden Age and the Silver Age, how do you tell the difference? It's not as easy with some of the other characters because obviously Green Lantern and Flash and all the others have reboots. Wonder Woman has a reboot, but Batman and Superman don't. But suffice it to say that Superman issues in action comics and Superman continue through the situation that the comics code is having. They never stop being sold and they never stop being made. But... I was doing some research on old Dr. Internet and what I ended up coming to was an interesting way of looking at it where I said the first issue of the Silver Age has to be the first appearance of Earth One. So that happens according to the DC Wikia in January 1945, which means whatever the action comics and Superman comics of 1945 are, that is the first appearance and the first canonical line break for the silver age. So for Superman, it's action comics number 80, wherein it is the first appearance of Mr. Mixia Spitlick. That's going to stick pretty well. Yeah. Uh, It's the, uh, actually that's a Mr. Mixia Spitlick returns it's not even the first appearance of him. He shows up, I think, in 1942 hmm. or 43, have, which we didn't get run... there. We didn't. Oh. I looked back really? at our notes and I looked where we stopped. We stopped, I want to say, three issues before it occurred. Fair enough. Um, wow. So Good that's Good the Action Comics. It's Action Comics number 80 um, and Superman 132, which is a uh, Superman's search for Clark Kent. Superman's search. Yeah. A bunch of just a bunch of stories. Um, Superman crime and crime on skis, crime at the zoo. <laughs> I'm sorry. Toys of treachery, 
Um, oh man, that toy, which sounds is the, like the, the worst. Well, the toy title. man. Well, the toy man shows up in that one, which is a Superman villain we haven't seen. Um, so that is the first appearance of the Silver Age version of Superman is, is January 1945. For those who want to find where that Silver Age denotation is, because we will get into what Earth One is, what the Silver Age really means when it comes to Silver Age, Golden Age, and the multiverse theory Flash fairly of soon. Flash yes. of Two Worlds. Yes, Flash of Two Worlds and also Crisis on Two Earths is going to be the big storyline that happens for that. We're going to get to that soon. It's going to be in JLA. But for the time being, we have officially seen a new Superman that is different from the Superman from the Golden Age. It is not the same guy and things are different. Specifically also because in the Superboy comics, the Kents are there versus in the Golden Age in Action and Superman... His parents, whomever they were who adopted him, were long dead before the comics occurred. So that is where we're coming from when we say this is Superman from the Silver Age or Earth One. It's 1945 forward. So we're 14 years past that. This Superman has been going for 14 years since we're in 1959. We just finished because literally we read the entirety of Showcase Presents Volume 1 and we didn't even hit 1960. (laughs) Yeah. Because it, it swaps back and forth between action and Superman so much. So there are thirteen page stories in yeah. action, and I think somewhere between twenty six and thirty. I think thirty nine pages all told for Superman. Conversely, um, like with Aquaman, we're at like nineteen sixty one, just because we finished that book. Mm-hmm. So we have a good look at Silver Age Superman. Um, we talked about Bizarro. We talked about Superman, uh, Mixius Pitlick. Anything else you want to go over? You have notes? I do, in fact. All right. Uh, And actually, nicely, it is going to be easy to springboard into mine because it is also about uh, different versions of the same characters uh, and that sort of transition between them. So, first off, just to remind people... uh, Superman stories are better than Supergirl stories, are better than action Superman stories. Uh, I talked a little bit last time about how for what the Superman stories were better than the action comic stories and some of the reasons behind that. So just go give that a listen if you're looking for those reasons. And then the Supergirl stories are also good, are better than uh, action comics because... Uh, in the same way that Superboy stories a while back were better than the Superman stories under the same creative team. Uh, The characters don't have the same narrative crutches for drama, like Lois always being the threat to Superman's secret identity, and the creatives can change the scale of drama without it feeling out of place with the character. There can be more easy whimsy with Supergirl. Uh, There's plenty of whimsy in Superman stories in this era, but we come into Superman stories kind of expecting drama and action in the core series. Um, So let's talk about that a little more generally, because I think that this actually really speaks to our experience on this show as a whole. Personally, I have a lot of trouble with the idea that I or others change. Not a strength. It is a weakness. Uh, It's much easier for me to think of uh, people as being closer or further from their true selves uh, at a given point in time. Oh, these circumstances bring out the real Matthew. uh, Or I was going through a stressful period and I was less of the real Matthew. And now I'm less stressed and happier in my my situation. More true Matthew. Stuff like that. Uh, 
The same is absolutely true with how I think about characters in fiction. Character growth is one thing. Let's be clear on that. That's fine. But having a different core conflict or be a different metaphor, that feels like a different character to me. Uh, what if the central metaphor and conflict of Wolverine stopped being about man versus beast, aspirations to honor versus frenzy? For a year, I'd call it a bold new direction. After 50 years, I'd call it a different character. And that's what we're seeing here. These, these are characters who are who have fundamentally different DNA. The, the axis that you'd place them on uh, is different. Uh, the, the metaphor of Superman these days is very often, especially movie style and influenced by the movies, uh, a Christ figure, very often the can I resolve things peacefully? Uh, and that being the core thing of can I can I overcome this in a way that doesn't hurt people? Uh, and that's not the core conflict or metaphor of this version of the character. And this, like, character dissonance. I'm looking at this version of Superman, and it's, that's not Superman. Or more accurately, this isn't the character archetype of Superman as he's been defined over the past 50, well, really the past 30-odd years of this is the central metaphor, this is the central character conflict, etc. Uh, all of this is compounded by the fact that these are the core characters. And that's, what I, that's what I want to hit right now, especially. Uh, Supergo Superboy and Supergirl aren't core characters. Their metaphors aren't as entrenched and solid, so it's easier to accept them being whimsical and fun. They're a break from the main action. Uh, so I think that's actually one of the interesting things to sort of take from this is that it's not just that more money is on the line if you take a major character and experiment with them but one of the other big reasons that you can that you usually see those oh we're experimenting with a different style for these characters with a little side group like uh generation x uh i think was one they did for uh x-men recently jubilee leading a bunch of oh here's being the teacher for a group of kids and it's kind of i think it was a little bit a little bit punk rock well you could say like nightwing and the outsiders yeah you know for yep. for dc fans next like wave that. agents of hate a whole bunch of characters who teen titans <laughs> You know, new new characters yeah. who've been in their own yeah. books for a while to get put into Teen Titans. Mm -hmm. uh, especially, like, if you look at the shows, it's like, okay, Teen Titans go, like... Or, Damien and the Teen Titans. Mm. Hmm. I forgot he was part of the they Titans. Just, they just put him in a while ago. Huh. Um, I want to end this line of thinking with two thoughts. The first is, let's compare DC and Marvel styles. And this is where we sort of thread back into... Uh, when does the Silver Age begin for Superman? DC had two separate multiversal shakeups before the modern era. You've got the Silver Age and the switch between Earth One and Earth Two, eh, Earth One and Earth Two, and then you have Crisis on Infinite Earths. And then you probably have some other stuff, but those big ones, uh, and that let them explicitly define any different tone from their core characters as being literally different characters. Marvel, on the other hand, has characters that have technically continued nonstop from a uh, like. The Flash tier of Silver Age, where it's the the more serious tone gets introduced. Uh, but that being said, like it's technically no breakage in continuity. But of course, Spider Man has never gone back to being in high school or college, only Ultimate. 
and the Silver Age X-Men had a clear age break from Silver Age into OK Giant Size X-Men number one. Uh, they haven't had a reset, but they've broken with the past enough that they'd be different characters in a fighting game, for instance. You'd have uh, Teen Spider-Man, you'd have Spider-Man. Second, let's reflect on a specific phrase. It was a different time. It's the Watchmen intro. It's uh, the Watchmen intro especially. It's like, if you want to give the weight of the past, of a history and grappling with that history to super to a superhero story, it's most often done through the lens of, well, most often may be wrong, but a lot of the times it's done through the lens of here is an era. Let's associate this character with that, or let let's build a tale that pulls in the tone of that era. And now it's different. Watchmen, it's, oh, here was the idyllic 50s and 40s of the old way. And then things fall apart. And then this Watchmen itself is such an 80s story. That uh, height of the second height of the Cold War uh, uh, dystopianism. Uh, and I say that because even though the... The height of the Cold War and the most dangerous part was certainly earlier on. This was a rationing up of tension and extreme danger because, oh, hey, things are uh, getting a little provocative. Uh, so a lot of the time, superhero stories rely on the era as the emotional resonance of the weight of time instead of on the on like the ways that the character has changed from their decisions. Uh, I think on a shorter timeline, oh, let's look at the past 10 years of comics uh, about this character and let's reveal something you get like the x-men style big reveals uh oh hey professor x had another kid uh there was another summers brother there's some of that but if you're talking like superman dealing with the past 50 years most often it's going to be superman versus superman of the modern era versus the idyllic 50s feel First and foremost, instead of, oh, let's look at how the character has changed on their own. It's all through the lens of the era. Uh, and I really don't have like a deep thought on this, but it's it interests me that we have a we have a medium that has characters that have been around for so long. There's so much accretion of meaning to many of these characters. And yet when we try to hit for the most impactful stuff with the longest looking back, it's very often going with the cheap ploy of either, oh, there was this dramatic thing that happened in the past that's just a twist that upends everything you knew, or it's let's look at the era and pretend that the character is secondary to the feel, the perspective of that era. I don't really have a deep thought on that. It just surprises me and weirds me out that we haven't done more with this kind of stuff. And there are probably examples of times we have, but something I'm going to keep chewing on. I do have some random things. Sure. So can we reflect on how lucky Superman was to grow up on Earth at an era where people understood radiation so he would intuit that lead would block kryptonite? Yeah, thank God that Superboy was able to find some random scientist who I'm sure is introduced in the Superboy comic who teaches him that lead blocks radiation at a very early age. <laughs> uh, it's also 
it's kind of dumb or bullshitty that Superman has to qualify his stuff so much. Like the point where he's doing the monkey paw wishes, uh, the baseball diamond that he brings when the guy asks for a diamond, uh, diamond is from an unwanted stadium. It's specifically called out as being from an unwanted stadium. The flower for the giant cake that he brings for dough is condemned flour. And he specifically mentions that the crooks, the cops would have gotten the crook anyways. Well, so, you've you got to remember they did this in they did this in Justice League. They qualified all the stuff that they borrowed by saying they'd give it back, or this is access yes. that no one would know. It's to give the impression that they're not stealing and taking without without asking. And yes, but it still bugs me. I like I almost prefer the idea that we get a shot of him at the end handing it back, or a panel of him asking for like all cars call of hey guys. I'm going to be doing some stuff. Just trust me on this one or something. But it feels it feels disingenuous that we have to have. But don't worry, audience. This was fine. And I understand the reasons for it, but it still bugs me. Yeah, it's just it's comics code. They're they're doing what they can to follow the comics code to the letter. And, and this is what we're getting. And it's it's hand wavy, but it is what it is. Yep. I also want to talk a little bit briefly, actually touching back on uh bizarro uh and the way he talks uh and then the the way he talks is actually very similar to how the children in these stories talk that was weird yep the children that lois observes in when she's in like williamsburg in colonial williamsburg <laughs> in the witch yep. chair yep. talk exactly like bizarro me burn brother's dump truck with my x-ray vision what do you what, like are they not teaching you how to speak appropriately like you're you're old enough to know how to speak and like kids don't speak perfectly when they're mm -hmm. when they're children but i don't think they ever refer to themselves as me yeah this is uh, not yeah so i specifically asked uh so my girlfriend is a preschool teacher and i like uh, i think mostly threes and fours she teaches maybe fours uh and i actually asked like is this if if there were a grammatical issue with the way a kid talked, would it be like that? And the answer was no, <laughs> no. Uh, they're more likely to say, like in the example that I gave, like that was verbatim from one of the panels. Uh, the only thing wrong with it is that they're saying me burn brother's dump truck instead of I'll burn brother's dump truck with my x-ray vision. Uh my girlfriend said that if kids get that kind of grammar wrong, they'll usually speak in the third person instead of doing the fake caveman me X. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that these probably like thirties, late twenties guys wouldn't have a great feel for how kids get grammar wrong. But at the same time, it's like do better. Go to preschool. And if that's how they're writing, how the children speak, then they're trying to say that bizarro is also childlike. Yep. Oh, so I've talked about there being two pages of Daisy Airgun ads in each of these issues. All of these issues. I am not making that up. Uh, I never realized this, but Daisy is best known for the Red Rider Airgun in A Christmas Story, hey. which was based on a real Daisy Red Rider model. Although the model that was shown there and the one that gets called out in the original book or short story or whatever is not a model that actually existed, but it is very heavily based on an actual Red Rider model that Daisy put out. Hmm. So, yeah, I still haven't seen that movie. <laughs> Meh. There's a bit in the Univac story where uh, 
Superman, or I guess Kal-El, is part of the Youth Scouts of Krypton. Now, this is apparently before they get the tech to, like, uh, fly to other uh, planets. They don't have spaceships. They develop that through the course of the story. But they do have, as part of the Youth Scouts of Krypton, they have to do a good deed on another planet. Uh, and in his case, it's like super, super long distance X-ray vision or something. Uh, sounds right. Uh, it That interested me because these days, Kryptonians are usually shown as being like conquerors in the past before everything changes uh, and having to essentially go on mission to other planets. Well, on the one hand, it's like, okay, yay, nice. On the other hand, it's shades of cultural imperialism and i really want to better understand the impact and politics around foreign missionaries now uh hmm. in the real world um i'm also just curious like when krypton turns into what we know it as in the contemporary sense and who that writer is yeah also one last thing so we're thinking about in this era, becoming a reporter seems to be about being informed about cases and investigating crooks without them knowing that Superman's investigating them. Whereas in the modern era, becoming a reporter is about fighting injustice in another arena. Uh, Superman being a blogger because that's the way that he can best like do investigative free journalism as compared to well, I need a secret identity, and I need to know how what crimes are being committed before the general populace does. I know I'll be a reporter. Right. It, that was the. I don't know what the, I, I don't did, know what that was. I was gonna let no, that slide that was without weird. calling you out, but no, no, no not that no, you've that drawn attention to it. You, uh, like I could have done like the hackneyed like Mid Atlantic voice. I'll be a reporter. There you go. That's better. Ooh, that was good. Um, yeah, it, it seems very much like the it's a utilitarian position that he doesn't really care too much about other than just being good at it so he can be better than Lois, but also being good <laughs> enough um, that he gets the jobs that he wants so that he can report on the things that he needs to to be Superman. Mm -hmm. Presumably, though, if he's so friggin' smart, he could just make like a worldwide radio situation that he's tapped into and just do that that way. And he just sits in the Fortress of Solitude going like, oh, time to do this. And then like has a little radio on his wrist that goes like, something's going on here. Like he can make robots. They could tell him what to do and like where to go. God, it, he just makes a mission control robot. The second he makes artificial intelligence that can react accordingly to the scenario when he acts a certain way, they know to act a certain way to, to keep up the guise of him being Superman. He's beyond needing to be a reporter to find things that he can stop. Accurate. When he's that technologically advanced, it's a disservice to him to be the reporter unless he has a reason for doing it. We've never been given that within the gold of the Silver Age at this point. Unlike mm -hmm. Alan Scott, who wanted to be a reporter kind of for a similar reason, but because he was a reporter in the army, he had, he had the radio, he was a radio operator and an engineer as well as a train engineer um so he had it was a practical skill that he had clark kind of supermans his way into becoming a reporter versus like mm -hmm. having gone to school for being a reporter and like having an interest in english or whatever alan scott was literally <laughs> someone who had the ability to do the job accurate so speaking of someone who has the ability to do the job we're going back to wonder woman next episode please be good yeah well it's all relative at this point. We'll see if we can grab Shannon and bring her back as well. 
see if she can continue to tear it apart in, in the way that only she knows how. It's very helpful to have someone with her level of passion for that character mm-hmm. looking at the character because um, she's a blind spot for both of us and our um, knowledge about characters. So it'll be interesting to continue to learn more about her and see kind of her evolution over over time. So we're going to do that uh, next episode. And until then, we will see you later. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and dcdetectivespodcast.com. Crypto, Supergirl, Red Kryptonite. Metropolis was getting crowded with the ghosts of future issues, but for now, Superman stories were still hit-or-miss mundanity. Like Godot, we were still waiting for a transformed man of tomorrow to arrive. Speaking of Godot, our next lead was calling to us. It looked like we were heading back to Paradise Island. <laughs>